verses 1 to 7 this morning. It's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. Um, but again, I encourage you to bring your Bible, and uh, it will be helpful for you, to you at times to look at uh, stuff around the passage that I'm looking at, um, that we're looking at together. But um, if you were here last week, you'll notice that we've skipped over several chapters. But basically, what you see as you continue through the book of Judges is the continual disintegration of the people of God, of, of the people of Israel, as they continually, over and over again, turn towards idols, and then God allows them to be oppressed by an enemy, and then they have to cry out for help. But, but there's this downward spiral, over and over again. The way Where we left off last week is, uh, is Gideon. Um, God called Gideon to raise an army, and, and Gideon has his decent-sized army, but God whittles it down to just 300 guys, and, uh, and he uses those guys. Really, he doesn't even use them much at all, but God actually wipes out the, uh, the other army that they're fighting, and the army of 135,000 people that they're fighting, and God does it. Um, but as a result, you, the, the people of Israel want to say, Gideon, we want you to be our king. They want Gideon to be their king, and Gideon's like, no, God's your king. Um, and so that's, that's good, right? But, but then it's, it's interesting, as, as the story progresses, you see that Gideon has a bunch of kids, and one of his kids, he eventually he names one of his kids Abimelech, which means my father is king, which is a little suspect, you know? Um, and, and so that's like just one little example of how there's this continual spiral going down, and, and then there's kind of, that, that son grows up and, and he kills all of his brothers, and then there's this, this struggle in Israel, and Abimelech is then killed, and, uh, and you're just like, this is not looking good, you know? And, and then another thing that you see is at, Gideon is the last person. There's a cycle every, every, uh, for the first eight chapters where God would raise up a judge and he would rescue the people. And then it would say that the land had rest for a certain amount of years. And that's the last time after Gideon rescues the people, that's the last time that it says the, the land has rest for, for a certain amount of years. From then on, you have all these judges that come and that rescue the people, but there's no longer this mention of rest. It just says that they ruled or they judged Israel for a certain amount of years. And so you see this, you know, this, this lack of rest that the people are experiencing, even though God is still continuing to rescue them. And, uh, and then you have um, a couple more judges that, you know, rule over the people and, and, Again, the people turn away from God. They do evil in the sight of God. They, they serve all these other idols. And God allows this, this group of people called the Ammonites to then oppress them for 18 years. And, uh, and that's kind of what we're looking at this, this time frame where the Ammonites are oppressing them. And, uh, and that's, that brings us to this guy named Jephthah. This guy named Jephthah that we, we're going to look at in chapter 12. It starts out talking about him in chapter 11. And uh, Jephthah is, is uh, a mighty warrior, it says in chapter 11. Um, he's born in kind of scandalous circumstances. He's born to a prostitute. And so because of that, he's rejected by his community. He's rejected by his people. And they tell him to leave. And so he goes out and he gathers people around him. But then once the Ammonites start oppressing them and they're miserable, they then say, oh, Jephthah, come back, come back, save us. And so Jephthah comes back, and, he, and God uses Jephthah again to deliver the people of Israel, to save them from the Ammonites. But even in that, there's this kind of these tragic notes in that, in that deliverance. Um, I don't know, some of you guys might be familiar with the story at the end of chapter 11, where Jephthah says, before he goes into battle with the Ammonites, he says, God, if you give me victory, then I'm going to sacrifice whatever comes out of my house when I get home. And so God does give him the victory, and then he gets home, and the first thing out of his house is his daughter. And so then Jephthah, you know, God uses Jephthah to deliver his people, and then Jephthah goes and kills his daughter. 
He sacrifices her, and you're like, this is not good. This is not good. So it's this continual progression of disintegration of the people of Israel, even their leaders. You know, the, the judges that God raises up are always imperfect, but they seem to be getting kind of worse and worse. And that brings us to chapter 12, this other tragic note at the end of, uh, in, in, in the, the wake of the victory over the Ammonites, you see a bunch of destruction within the people of Israel, even after they've won. Um, so listen to God's word as I read Judges 12, verses 1 to 7. The men of Ephraim were called to arms, and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites, and when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, Let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, Are you an Ephraimite? When he said, No. They said to him, Then say Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open up your word to us this morning, that you would help us to see what you want us to see, that you would help us to notice what you want to change in us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to really submit to your Spirit's work. And Father, we, we ask that, that you, would, you would be glorified as we sit here and think about you and your truth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I got to say, as I look around this world, it's, it's sad at times when I look around. Um, you know, on the, on the big scale, you know, you, 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 nobody's going to argue with me there. When you look at the things that are happening in this world, um, it's sad. But then just even, even maybe even more so, like as I look, you know, cl- up close and personal, the things I see around me, I see, you know, things that are like, Why? Why? You know, like I was just at the mall a couple weeks ago, and I was sta- standing in line at the food court, as you do, as some of you might do, and, and there's people passing by in front of me as I'm standing in line to get my food, and, and there are these two young women, I'm guessing they're like late teens, maybe 20, they, they, they walk, they cross by in front of me, um, they pass each other right in front of me, and I, I didn't hear one say anything to the other, other but I'm, I'm sure one of them must have said something to the other one, it didn't seem like they knew each other at all, but as soon as they passed each other, like within a split second, one of them was just like... And she like turns around with this look of like, I'm going to kill that person. And she takes a couple steps towards her. Like, I'm like right in front of me. I'm like, what is going to go down right now? Like, this girl looks like she's going to just jump on her and, and just like, I don't know what, just destroy this other girl. And uh, thankfully, you know, this, this other girl just like kind of walks on obliviously. And this girl thinks twice of it and then just like turns and walks towards the exit. And, and I'm just like... Why? Like, what on earth could this one girl have said to this other girl? Like, first of all, why does she need to say anything? 
Um, maybe she said something about what she was wearing or something like that. Why does she say anything that would maybe upset this other person, whether they know each other or not? And then why is this other girl like on such like a, an, an immediate like readiness to just pounce on somebody and kill them, you know, for, for something that she might have said? I mean, it's just kind of sad. And, and sadly, I feel like this is a reflection of, of a lot of us, maybe all of us, in the way that we view other people, interact with people, and our attitudes towards one another. Um, and you might be like, oh, come on, I'm not ready to just like, beat up anybody who says something mean to me. But I think just our attitude towards, towards each other is not, is more, tends, to, tends to be more one of, of kind of attack rather than love, often. And it might not be, you know, definitely not physical, but it might not be overt with our, with our words, but even just in our own minds. We consider others enemies rather than those people that we are called to love. Um, and especially even in the church, even Christians, especially Christians, it's really sad um, as I look around me. And, you know, you look online and the way that Christians interact online, it's just, it's brutal. Um, and even, I think, within our own community, in our own church family, the way that we maybe view each other is not as we should. We don't love each other as Jesus calls us to. Um, and I, I think this is why Judges 12 is so tragic. Um, you might not have realized this, but, but Ephraim is a tribe of Israel. So the Ephraimites are Israelites, right? Gilead is also part of Israel. These are Israelites, that are fighting with one another, Israelites that are destroying one another when they should be unified, when they should be loving one another. And what I want to do this morning um, is look at four kind of attitudes that these people have towards one another that maybe you have as well. Um, I, I would guess that, it, that, that we all maybe share one of these characteristics in common with these people, if not all of them. And I, I'm asking us to do some hard work this morning um, to be humble and to consider, you know, really think about how are these things reflected in my own heart? Even if it doesn't look like I'm, you know, I'm like going around trying to just beat on everybody around me. <laughs> I think it's very likely that, that some of these characteristics are, are, are actually absolutely present in, in our hearts. Um, the first thing I think that you see here as these two groups clash with one another is you see the pride of the Ephraimites. You see that there's a real pride there. There's an attitude that leads them to say, don't you see how important I am? Don't you see how important I am? I mean, look at that. They, they, they come to, uh, to Jephthah after Jephthah has won the battle, after God has won the victory through Jephthah, and they say, why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house to the ground. It seems like a little bit of an overreaction, doesn't it? <laughs> but I think it reflects the fact, like Ephraimites were, I think, known to be strong warriors. And they thought kind of a lot of themselves. And, and so they're a little angry that they didn't get to share in the glory, maybe, that, uh, that the rest of the warriors were sharing in. They were a little angry that they were overlooked. They were angry that they were excluded in the battle. They were a little angry that they weren't noticed for the strong, powerful warriors that, that they knew themselves to be. They're like, don't you see how important we are? We're somebody. We are somebody. And you're treating us like nobodies. You know? And th I think this is the sort of attitude that, that really makes it hard to love other people when we are consumed with, with, you know, the fact that I am somebody and people need to pay attention. 
People should notice me. People should thank me. You ever get a little frustrated when somebody doesn't thank you for something that you do? I think that's absolutely reflective of this attitude right here. When somebody ignores us, when somebody fails to give us credit for something, when we are excluded, when we aren't appreciated as much as we should be, you know, whether it's, you know, in the community or especially in my own home, you know. Don't you see how important I am? Is that attitude, you know, in your heart anywhere, if you look there? I'm somebody. People should notice that. My kids should notice that. My spouse should notice that. The people I work with should definitely notice that. Don't they see how much significance I have? And that absolutely is a barrier for us to actually seeing other people and seeing their needs and loving them as we should. Um, And then you see evidence of the Ephraimites' condescending attitude toward the people of Gilead. In In essence, they say, you are less than me. So they don't just say, don't you see how important I am? But they also say, you're less than me. Where where do I see that? Well, in verse 4, it says, Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim. And it tells us why they struck them, why they responded, why they fought. It's because the Ephraimites said, you are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites. You see, the thing is, Gilead and Ephraim both have similar origins. Gilead's um, ancestor is Joseph, and he's also the ancestor of the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, and for whatever reason, Gilead is, is not part of that tribe anymore. And so when they say, you are fugitives of Ephraim, what they're saying, it's, it's, an, it's an absolutely an insult. It's saying, you guys are illegitimate. You guys don't belong as part of Israel. You don't belong as part of us. You're less than us. And I think that we can do this regularly when we look around us and we, we, we are quick to judge others and treat them as if they are less or at least think of them as if they are less than us. For sure, people out there in the world um, that, uh, that maybe don't, you know, their lives don't coincide with our values or, or what we love, but, but especially with people that are close to us in our own homes, you know? We're so quick to judge people around us. You're less than me because, because you, you aren't as, as efficient at getting ready as I am because you're kind of a slob because you're too worried about keeping the house neat. Because, you know, you're, you're so impatient you know, again, we might not say this out loud. Some of us do, but we might not say this out loud. But, but we often are thinking things about the people around us. You're less than me. Have you thought of the people around you as less than you, even this morning or this past week? Have you been quick to judge them because they're not as good as you at a certain thing? You're less than me. And then there's this self-protective instinct in us that says, I must destroy you before you hurt me. I must destroy you before you hurt me. And that's what I see in Jephthah and, and the Gileadites, right? The, the Ephraimites come, come out, you know, they've gathered their army, they come out to them, and, uh, and, and they're like, you know, why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites? We're going to burn your house over you with fire. And it's interesting, the Ephraimites, this seems to be a, a common issue with the Ephraimites. Back a few chapters earlier, 
the same tribe came out to Gideon and said something similar because Gideon hadn't asked for their help either. And at that time, Gideon was much more diplomatic. And, and he, he gave them, like, he said this really long speech about why he didn't include them and everything. And, and he diffused the situation. Jephthah doesn't really do that, does he? Jephthah is just like, they, they tell him they're going burn, to burn his house over his head. And, and, and he's like, okay, let's go. Let's go. And he's just ready to fight because he, he doesn't want to get hurt. He doesn't want to be destroyed himself. And do you ever notice that about yourself, that, that we often are, tend to be so protective of ourselves that before we get hurt, before somebody else hurts us, we make sure they don't have the opportunity and we hurt them, whether it's with you know, a well-timed joke or maybe with passive aggression, with a silent treatment, um, or maybe it's just without right criticism. We keep the other person on their heels so that they don't have the opportunity to hurt us. And this is absolutely one of the great challenges for all of us in, in, in really loving one another, and I think in the church in loving one another, because all of us ex- have experienced wounding and hurts and pain from others. We know that, that that's a reality in life. And so many of us are quick to defend ourselves. We're quick to inflict pain on others so that they don't hurt us. Um, there's a, a book from a long, a, a long time ago, I read this book called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them by John Ortberg. And he, yeah, it's a funny title, right? I'm so used to it. Everybody's normal till you get to know them. But in the, in the beginning of the book, he talks about how people are like porcupines. People are like porcupines. So I just want to read a page from this book about, about kind of this, this dynamic that goes on. He says, the North American common porcupine is a member of the rodent family that has around 30,000 quills attached to his body. Each quill can be driven into an enemy, and the enemy's body heat will cause the microscopic barb to expand and become more firmly embedded. The wounds can fester. The more dangerous ones affecting vital organs. The porcupine is not generally regarded as a lovable animal. The Latin name for porcupine means the irritable back, and they all have one. Books and movies celebrate almost every conceivable animal, not just dogs and cats and horses, but also pigs, spiders, dolphins, bears, and killer whales. Even skunks have Pepe Le Pew, right? I don't know of any famous porcupines. I don't know any child who has one for a pet. As a general rule, porcupines have two methods for handling relationships, withdrawal and attack. They either head for a tree or stick out their quills. They're generally solitary animals. Wolves run in packs, sheep huddle in flocks. We speak of herds of elephants and gaggles of geese and even a murder of crows, but there's no special name for a group of porcupines. They travel alone. Porcupines don't always want to be alone. In the late autumn, a young porcupine's thoughts turn to love, but love turns out to be a risky business when you're a porcupine. Females are open to dinner and a movie only once a year. The window of opportunity closes quickly, and a girl porcupines know is the most widely respected turndown in all the animal kingdom. Fear and anger make them dangerous little creatures to be around. This is the porcupine's dilemma. How do you get close without getting hurt? This is our dilemma, too. Every one of us carries our own little arsenal. Our barbs have names like rejection, condemnation, resentment, arrogance, selfishness, envy, contempt. Some people hide them better than others, but get close enough, and you will find out they're there. They burrow under the skin of our enemies. They can wound and fester and even kill. 
We too learn to survive through a combination of withdrawal and attack. We too find ourselves hurting and being hurt by those we long to be closest to. Yet we too want to be close. We meet neighbors, go on dates, join churches, form friendships, get married even, and we have children. We try to figure out how to get close without getting hurt. We wonder if there isn't a softer, less barbed creature out there, a mink or an otter, perhaps. And of course, we can usually think of a number of particularly prickly porcupines in our lives, but the problem is not just them. I'm somebody's porcupine. So are you. This is the issue. You know, we're all porcupines. We're all ready to inflict pain, especially when we sense that we might get hurt. And that absolutely impacts our ability to love and be one with others, whether it's out in the world or especially even in the church. I must destroy you before you hurt me. Is that, do you find that in your own experience at all? Lastly, there's this interesting and effective tactic that the Gileadites used to wipe out the army of Ephraim, right? They capture the fords of the Jordan, and then because the, the Ephraimites speak differently, they have a different accent than they do. Um, you know, the, the Ephraimites are just getting, trying to get back home. They're trying to cross this, this boundary, the Jordan River, you know, and, and they just, they're just trying to get home, and, and, uh, and, and the Gileadites seize control of it, and then they say, okay, just prove to us you're not from Ephraim, you know? Um, are, are you from Ephraim? And they're like, no, no, we're not from Ephraim. Just want to, you know, just want to cross. And they're like, okay, say Shibboleth. And they can't. They can't say Shibboleth. They say Sibboleth, right? And, and immediately it, it, it betrays them as the enemy. Their inability to speak like the Gileadites betrays them as an enemy, and they get slaughtered. And it, and, it's, and it says that Jephthah's people slaughter 42,000 Ephraimites. It just decimates their entire fighting, um, fighting uh, army. And, uh, and Ephraim is, is not really the same after that. And, and what is it that, that happens here? I, I think, I mean, they, they kill them because they're the enemy, but, but what, part of what is, you know, Embedded in that is this attitude that says, your difference is the reason I must destroy you. Your difference is the reason I must destroy you. Um, They can't speak the way that the Gileadites speak. And so immediately, yeah, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. Let's take care of them. And how, how prevalent is that in our world today? Your difference is the reason I must destroy you. You are different from me. I can't trust you. I hate you because you are different. You know, we, we are so quick to notice what is different about other people than what is the same, aren't we? We are so quick to notice the differences and to use those things as reasons that we don't trust or that we don't want to be close or that we don't want to love. We don't want to give time to them. Where it's just because they, have a, they come from a different culture, somebody that has, has different cultural habits, somebody that looks different, somebody that dress, dresses different, somebody that talks different, somebody with a different skin color, somebody of a different gender, somebody just from a different kind of way of life. Um, we, we are quick to make judgments. And just because they are different, we are like, no. They are the enemy. 
They are the enemy. And we do it all the time. We do it with people that we don't know. You know, you, you ever see somebody that just, you know, completely just does not look the way that a person is that you would normally hang out with? And, and you're like, yeah, I would never want to talk to that person. Or if you do have to talk to that person, there's already there's this barrier between you. Your difference is the reason I must destroy you. Um, and so these are kind of the four attitudes that I see in here. Do you see any of them in your own heart, in your own life, as you interact with, with people that you work with, with, with people that you just interact with, um, strangers, with the people that you live with, with the people that you spend time with? Do you see any of these attitudes here? I, it, it's, it's amazing. So the Israelites tear each other apart, and Ephraim is destroyed. There's one big reason for it that I see here. Um, you're like, why, why, you know, why are Israelites destroying one another? Up until this point, the enemies of Israel have been all these outside nations, these outside groups, you know, whether it's the Midianites or the Moabites or the, or the Ammonites, right? But now, the Israelite, the enemy of the Israelite is the Israelite. They're destroying one another. They're tearing one another apart. And what is the problem here? What do they all have in common? Both the Ephraimites and the Gileadites, both of them are out of touch with what God has just done. They're out of touch with God's grace. They're out of touch with the fact that God has just rescued both of them. They've both been experiencing oppression at the hands of the Ammonites. They've both been miserable for 18 years. And God has come in, even though they haven't deserved it. They've, they've, they've all done evil in God's sight. They've all been worshiping other idols. And God has come in, and he's rescued them both. And if only they were more aware of the grace of God that they have all just experienced, then these attitudes wouldn't be as much of a problem. They wouldn't be so concerned about making sure that everybody noticed how important they were if they knew that God had noticed them and had rescued them, right? They wouldn't be so busy looking down on the other person if they realized that God had saved the other person, that God believes that this other person is just as significant as they are. They're not less than them. They're all just as significant to God. He's rescued them all. You know, they wouldn't be so obsessed with protecting themselves. I have to destroy you before you hurt me. If they, if, they, if they are absolutely aware of and certain that God has already protected them and will continue to protect them, they don't have to protect themselves. He will take care of them. And instead of being so obsessed with their differences being the thing that divides them, they could actually be like, God has rescued all of us. God has made all of us. It, it, their differences would be more of something of, that they could appreciate and be grateful for rather than the immediate, the immediate cause of them to, to hurt one another and destroy each other. And I think this is absolutely true for us as well. This is the key for us, to love one another well. It's, it's that we would be more aware of what God has done for each of us. Be more aware of the grace that God offers each of us and has poured out on each of us. God was gracious to the Ephraimites and the Gileadites here in rescuing them from the Ammonites. But if we pay attention, I think this passage reminds us of God's grace to us as well. It reminds us of God's grace to us as well. I think I've said before that as, as you go through the book of Judges, God raises up a judge over and over again. 
But the thing is, as, as God raises up a judge and the judge rescues the people, over and over again, you see that the judge always leaves something to be desired. The judge always leaves the people longing for somebody better, somebody greater. You know, the judge is never perfect. And it gets worse and worse as the book of Judges goes on. The judge always leaves us wanting something more. And that's absolutely true of Jephthah as well. Not only wanting someone more, but also he gives us a hint of the one who is to come, of Jesus himself. When you think about Jephthah, I mentioned, right, Jephthah was the son of a prostitute and he was rejected by his community, right? He was a a, a man who, who, as a child, was born in the midst of scandal. Does that sound like somebody you know from the New Testament? Jesus, born in the midst of scandal to a woman that many people may have accused of being a prostitute. Jesus, rejected by his community. And see, with Jephthah, that rejection by his community, what did that lead to? It led to a life of violence. He was really good at violence. With Jesus, how did that, what did that result in? Jesus was, was rejected, and yet what did he do? He loved people. He served them. And again, you, you have Jephthah, a, a man that God has raised up as the deliverer of his people that the people want to destroy, right? That's what you end up with. You, you have a, a, the people of Israel trying to destroy their own deliverer. And again, that, it's, it's, a, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus, the deliverer of God's people. And yet, God's people work to destroy him as they hang him on a cross. In Jephthah's case, when the people try to destroy him, he just gets violent and destroys them right back. But in Jesus' case, what does he do? He sacrifices himself for us. He sacrifices himself for us on the cross, dying for our sin, laying down his life so that we might be forgiven, so that we might know the love of God and the grace of God. This is the secret to loving well. This is the secret to loving well. As we think about these things, I think we need to, we need to like really do some real work and looking at our own hearts. How am I seeking to, to make sure everybody else knows that I'm important? But in the midst of that, I need to bathe my attitude in the grace of the gospel and the grace of Jesus. That God believed that I was significant enough that his son laid down his life for me. That is what enables me to to humble myself, to put others before myself, to honor others before myself, to take risks and be vulnerable to others even though I might get hurt. This is what enables me to appreciate the vast array of, of, of God's creation in other people and how different they are from me and yet still love them rather than being, you know, allowing a barrier of differences to separate us. And so this is the key, and this is what we need to do. We need to rest in the work of Jesus. We need to remind ourselves of the grace of Jesus. We need to come and behold the wondrous mystery that Jesus, the Son of God, would lay down his life for me. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us um, today to see ourselves clearly in the light of your word. Father, we pray that uh, as your word is, is a mirror, 
for us to see ourselves, that, that, that we wouldn't walk away from this mirror and forget what we look like, but that we would walk away and trust you and rely on you and your spirit to bring change and to give us assurance. And Father, we pray that, uh, that as we as a church, as Hope Church, rests in the gospel, that, that we would love each other as Jesus has called us to love, as he has loved us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to meet Jesus at the Lord's table.